2: And everyone, and welcome to another edition of Ghost Particles. I am Ron Kolick, your host, the gatekeeper to the realm of the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable New England's own Van Helsink. With me, my co-host for today, the Edward Rose Snow of today, Jeremy Daltramont.
0: Hey Ron, how are you doing?
2: Good. Now, for those who don't know, Jeremy, he is the president now of ALF. Used to be the historian for ALF, which is the American Lighthouse Foundation, and was also the operating manager for the Friends of Portsmouth Lighthouse Foundation. So you're
0: like a real busy dude. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, I, I am. <laughs> I sure am. More than ever lately, it seems like. I wonder, you mentioned, uh, you call me the Edward Rowe Snow of today or something like that. I, I wonder how many people know about Edward Rowe Snow. He was uh, pretty famous at one time, but I'm not sure if people know about him now. No, I always remember was...
2: him as the flying Santa Claus dude.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's one thing he was famous for. He was a hero of mine when I was a kid. If there are people listening who are like over a certain age, and especially if they're uh, in the Boston area, they're, they're most likely to remember him. He died in 1982, but he was a really popular historian, Wrote a lot of books, and also... Drop presents at the lighthouses every Christmas for over 40 years. It's known as the Flying Santa. So, did a lot of cool things.
2: So that's pretty cool. Yeah. And uh, Jeremy, for those who don't know, uh, is also he he went with me along our investigation at uh, New London Ledge Lighthouse, which was was interesting.
0: Yeah, it sure was. Yeah.
2: And uh huh. And speaking of that, I believe at the end of the month on July 31st, uh, Jeremy and I are conducting a three-hour tour, (laughs) a a boat tour, right?
0: Yes, yeah, Uh, out of Rye, New Hampshire, and we're calling it a ghost cruise, Mm -hmm. and we're going to go around Portsmouth Harbor and out to the Isles of Shoals. It's an area that just has a zillion, uh, you know, ghost stories and legends and pirate stories and so forth and treasure stories There's just you know, a wealth of neat stuff around there, weird and unusual stories and so forth. So we'll be talking about those on that cruise.
2: And, about uh, other things as well. But and we also will be mm-hmm. giving out uh, free uh, DVDs of that uh, show that you and I were on, which actually won an Emmy, if you can believe that, uh, of our investigation with American Builder. It was the Halloween special, uh, I think, in 2007, right?
0: I think it might have been six. <laughs> it's hard to believe, but I think it was 2006.
2: It won the uh, Emmy in 2007.
0: Oh, okay, right. The show was made in 2006, yeah? Correct, correct. Uh
2: So anyways, we are going up north because we have uh, a really, really interesting guest. Uh, This is a subject that I've, I've always been interested in all my life, and that is Oak Island. Do you know anything
0: yeah. about Oak Island? Uh, something I've always been interested in, too. As a matter of fact, speaking of Edward Rowe Snow, he, he's how I found out about Oak Island. He wrote about it in some of his books. And I was just reviewing some of what he wrote. in his book, uh, Mysteries and Adventures Along the Atlantic Coast, which was one of his most popular books. I believe it was actually on the New York Times Best Ten list for a while in the late 40s, and he wrote about visiting there himself in 1947 and going down into the money pit. and you know, So he had a strong fascination to it and actually went there to, to see it. Edward of Snow was a treasure hunter, too, along with all those other things. But uh, he never actively really tried to get the treasure at Oak Island, but many people have, that's for sure.
2: Well, hopefully, uh, I guess we'll shed some light on the, what's been going on at Oak Island over the years, the history behind it, and maybe uh, what his theory is about it. So why don't we bring on our guest right now?
0: Sounds good to me. Looking forward to it.
2: Well, Danny? How you doing? Hi, Danny. Uh, I forget your last name. Would you? Or I'm going to massacre one or the other. <laughs> <laughs> it's Henniker. Henniker? Yes. Oh, just like uh, Henniker, New Hampshire.
1: I suppose so
2: i <laughs> will take your you, word for that and you are a canadian i believe right <laughs> yes i am
1: yeah born and bred
2: and and did you grow up near oak island
1: yes i've uh, grown up in the county here called Lunenburg county and it's um, the home of oak island that's where it exists and i'm only about 15 minutes away in fact if i were to climb on my roof on a high step ladder i could see oak island from where i am but I'm not about to do that, it's kind of
0: dangerous, but yeah, I've always
1: lived here and I've always been very fascinated with this topic. It's uh, something that's captured my imagination ever since I first stepped foot on Oak Island, probably, oh you know, gosh, must, must have been the early to mid-60s. My dad and I landed on the island with a speedboat and it was during the time that uh, the rest were there. Uh, searching for the treasure, and uh, I remember walking up over a grassy field and Dad saying to me, Son, be careful of the holes. You don't fall in the hole. And there were a lot of holes at that time, too. Really? Yeah.
2: Now, the island is privately owned. Is that correct?
1: Yes, it is. 100% privately owned.
2: Okay. So, I think the best thing to do is, well, first of all, I mean, you were associated in, in what what degree?
1: Well, first of all, just living in the area, it's hard not to be associated with Oak Island particularly if you travel outside of Nova Scotia. You tell people where you live and they say, oh gosh, that's close to Oak Island, isn't it? So that's one association, but my closest association started in um, about 1973. I was still in high school and I got a job with the Provincial Department of Tourism as a tour guide on Oak Island, much to my pleasure. The first uh, couple of months, of course, or first several weeks, I should say, I was absolutely terrified of the tourists because I had to do public speaking, and that's not something I was keen on. So I got over that fear pretty quickly and uh, did that for three summers. And um, then for many years after that, I would do uh, Oak Island presentations or assist school kids with their projects and that sort of thing. And Then about 2000, the year 2000, um, our member of the Legislative Assembly, uh, John Chathaway, his name was, uh, he approached me after I did an Oak Island presentation. He said, Dan, look, I'm going to get a bunch of people together, and we're going to try and turn Oak Island into a tourism project. Are you interested? Well, gee whiz, you know, I was very keen on that. And uh, for the next eight years, um, John and myself and uh, a bunch of other very dedicated volunteers organized them. Um, a society called the Oak Island Tourism Society and we just actually shut the society down last year. Uh, really? December, yeah, December 2009.
2: And why is that, Danny? Uh,
1: well, we started out, uh, we had a mandate and the mandate was to um, have a world-class interpretive center on Oak Island and have it permanently opened up for tours. Uh, we know that Oak Island has uh, a huge potential as uh, a tourism project here and Not to uh, be disrespectful to Walt Disney, but we didn't want it to be Walt Disney-like. We wanted it to be very well done, very professional, and done in such a way that people would come back, come with their families, and enjoy the story. So we pursued that mandate, and along the way, we started a festival called Explore Oak Island Days, which was very uh, successful here. In fact, the last year that we had it, we had in excess of 1,000 people enjoy tours of Oak Island, guest speakers, and everything else. But as, all, as most good things, there's always undercurrents that, um, oh, will stand in your way. And we had uh, several issues that um, that came up to greet us. And we also had to suffer through some pretty severe harassment from uh, competing, oh, I'll call it competing individuals who turned into an ad hoc group who actually turned themselves into a society. So now they have the, the ball and they can run with it.
2: Huh.
1: <laughs>
0: That's a shame. shame
1: yeah it is but uh you know we also realized now that was one reason to the harassment that we put up with and it was all volunteer too but in a community project but probably the more important reason was because you, you could always deal with harassment by um Well, you know, snakes don't like having the light shone on them, so that was one way. But the more important reason was that we felt very, very sure that the owners would not sit down with us to discuss terms of perhaps leasing some land so we could build an interpretive center or sell us some land so we could do it. And uh, one of the partners uh, that owned about 78% of Oak Island told us that he didn't think that we had the resources or even the people to carry it forward. So... We pretty much knew that um, any possibility of uh, completing our mandate was probably next to nil without going on for many, many, many more years. And um, we decided, you know what, everybody was so busy with other things. Um, most of the people that uh, were on our board volunteered for a lot of other things, myself included, and we just said, you know, this the, it's time. We we gave it our best shot, and I hope uh, another group that may come along, another community group, could um, could carry it to fruition, but uh, I don't know. It doesn't yeah. look good, so we decided to pull the plug onto it.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, this is Jeremy Danny. I was wondering uh, if we could maybe, could we back up a little bit maybe and just for those people who are listening who might not know about the, uh, the whole Oak Island story, you know, oh, what, yeah. what, exactly what we're talking about here, maybe you could uh, tell kind of the, maybe the Reader's Digest version <laughs> of what's going on. It be <laughs> even Island a shorter
1: than, version than that. More than
0: 200 years.
1: Yeah, we have over 200 years of history to compress in a very short period of time. But in essence, around about 1795, That's it's kind of controversial because it's very old history. Not a lot of it was written down at the time. There certainly was no photographs taken back in 1795, no radios or anything like that. But the legend goes on to say the three young men started digging for treasure because they saw some interesting clues. One of them being uh, they found a clearing on an island that some people say was uninhabited, some people say it was inhabited, but nonetheless it drew their attention to uh, an oak tree standing in the middle of this old clearing. The oak tree um, from one of the limbs that was suspended over over the ground was suspended um, ship's tackle block and directly underneath that ship's tackle block the legend goes on to say that there was a depression in the ground about 13 feet in diameter. Now this area up here in Nova Scotia has always been associated with piracy or privateering. So these guys thought, gee, you know, there must be something, there must be something buried here, probably pirate treasure because, you know, they they heard legends and whatever have you. And even back at that time, even though Captain Kidd had been de- dead for 94 years, his name was still swirling around and um, so anyway, these guys thought, well, let's start digging. Captain Kidd must have buried treasure here. So as they started digging, they found some extraordinarily tantalizing clues. Uh, for example, as they started digging down, they found that they were starting to open up a 13-foot-in-diameter shaft, and the old stories tell us that they could even see the pick marks from the originators in the walls of the hard clay shaft that they had refilled. They get down about two feet or so and found a layer of flagstones covering over the shaft that was opening up before them, which is not, uh, is not native to that end of Oak Island so somebody obviously placed it there so they dug down to 10 feet and they struck something hard in the hole and they found it was a wooden platform so they tore that platform out fully expecting to find treasure and what they opened up was a Pandora's box. Every 10 feet after that at least until about the say the hundred foot level they found another marks or platforms they found coconut fiber Over the years, um, other treasure hunters uncovered a system of drains on a beach 500 feet away from the money pit. And the money pit, by the way, is the first hole that they started digging. And uh, that's been known as the money pit ever since about 1795 or thereabouts. And they found uh, in this drain system down on the beach, they believe that what it was is a great big filter system, which, by the way, was covered over with tons and tons of coconut fiber, And um, it led into a tunnel that dumped ocean water into the money pit that kept it flooded, and that's been a persistent problem over the years. Since that time, uh, people have been coming to Oak Island from here in Canada, here in Nova Scotia in Canada. Uh, A lot of Americans, we had a gentleman from um, California uh, show up in Oak Island back in 1965 after a terrible tragedy that happened on the island, and that was the Restall Expedition. They lost four people in uh, in one uh, one shaft. Mm-hmm. They were overcome by fumes and drowned in the bottom of a very shallow shaft. So, of course, that was that um, total of six people who have died over the years looking for this treasure. And since that time, uh, you know, more treasure hunters have shown up from Florida and um, all over the place everywhere. And they've found images that look like human remains in a cavity 235 feet beneath the ground. They found all sorts of things that over the years have been um, spurring people along. So there's your Reader's Digest version, <laughs> <laughs> and trust me, that's a skim off the top, and it's
0: uh, right. But yeah, you know, I uh, uh, I'm sure you know the book uh, by Darcy O'Connor.
1: Oh yeah, I know Darcy O'Connor. quite well.
0: Yeah, um, in fact, read that Darcy and I co-wrote a book. Oh really? Yeah, yeah. On, it's one of the on most unusual
1: books about Oak Island you'll ever read is called The Oak Island Code, and it's a farce. And uh, we take a lot of liberties with this book and have a lot of fun with it and it's it 's a comical chase um from one continent to another over to England and back here again and of course we uh, we uh let everybody know what the treasure is right huh. <laughs> interesting yeah, but Darcy has written some excellent books on Oak Island, and in fact right. uh, for your listeners, I would uh highly recommend um, any one of his books, but his most recent one would be the the best one for anybody to get if they want, uh, you know, a good a good story that'll tell you uh, the details from start to finish.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seems pretty pretty complete to me. Yeah. Up to I, th- I think it was written in like 2004. So
1: yes, yeah, because he mentions the Oak Island Tourism Society in that, and um, so that's that's as current as you're going to get. Now, there's another recent book that was written by um, her name is Lee Restall Lamb. And Lee Lamb, a good friend of mine, she lives in Ontario, and she wrote a book about her mother and father's time on Oak Island from 59 to 65. And I'll tell you, it's a compelling story. If you want to read a story about how people lived in the most primitive conditions on uh, on Oak Island. And uh, it tells a little bit about the history, so it'll bring people up to speed with it. But it's a great story about... uh, Oh, tragedy and triumph, and uh, disappointment and struggles, and uh, the rest—all very, very interesting people. So it's a great book too.
0: You still yeah, there, man. Ron? <laughs> yeah,
2: no, it's, it's uh, interesting. I, I really want to, you know, I really, really am fascinated with it, and I want to hear as much as as Danny can talk about it. That's yeah. why I really haven't interrupted. I mean, we haven't even got into the theories of, you know, what's behind it, and, yeah. and you know, and everything else, but. Uh, I think it's fascinating. I mean, even one of our, our presidents was involved in in the uh, expedition to the uh, uh, Oak Island as well. Uh, you were you aware of that, Danny?
1: Oh, gosh, yeah. That was Franklin Roosevelt. He came up here in about, um, oh, my gosh, about 1910, I think it was. I, I really have to check my notes. But around about that time, he came here with a gentleman by the name of Henry Baudoin, or Baudouin. I'm not sure how to pronounce the name. I've never run into anybody with that surname before. But uh, he was quite interested into it. He had heard stories when he was a kid um, because he, uh, his family owned an island off the coast of Maine, and um, they were entrenched with the stories of buccaneers and privateers and pirates in Oak Island and all the other treasure sites up and down the eastern seaboard, including Nova Scotia, of course. And we also had one Canadian prime minister who was very involved with Oak Island as well. Hmm. And, um, you know, maybe some of your listeners remember the name Pierre Elliott Trudeau. He's one of our Tr- ambassadors. Yeah. yeah, Trudeau had a couple of thousand dollars invested into it, and he's visited, he had visited Oak Island prior to his death. Interesting hmm. character. But, uh, yeah, Roosevelt was involved. And, you know, here's the interesting thing. You know, uh, any leader of any country is an extraordinarily busy person. There's, that's that's a given. But he was so interested in Oak Island, that even during the, the lead-up to the war, he would um, get in contact with the, the treasure hunter du jour and say, you know, how's, how's things going up there? Are you guys making any progress? Found anything yet? I've actually seen letters penned by uh, Roosevelt uh, to the treasure hunters who were here at the time. And so, you know, with this man in the late 30s, he had a lot on his plate, but he's still in the back of his mind thought about Oak Island because it's such an incredible story.
2: I mean, it's it's fascinating, and and you know, I mean, is is can you still go up there to the or Is it like totally off limits now?
1: Uh, pretty much totally off limits. Um, there is another uh, group who has started up a society, and I've heard rumblings about the possibility of some tours sometime this month. But uh, it's oh, it's kind of sw- swathed in secrecy and. Um, uh, I think they're. I think they're still feeling their way along, trying to get their feet underneath them to see how to do this. But, in uh, to answer your question directly, no, you can't get a tour of Oak Island. I, I'm hoping that changes. I'm hoping this new group can uh, do things that we weren't able to. But uh, boy, I don't know. The, the odds are against them. Uh, geez, that's a shame. Uh,
2: uh, so. Yeah, I has it always been in the same hands, or has Oak Island changed hands over
1: through the years? Oh my goodness! Ever since the time that uh, the British government was handing out land grants um, in this area to soldiers and um, foreign Protestant settlers and the French settlers who came here from uh, France and whatever have you, um, they've been um, the land on Oak Island has been exchanging hands uh, many, 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 many times. But uh, it's currently in a state of um, um, Flux at the moment. There's not much been happening with regard to land sales uh, in the past little while. Although there was uh, four gentlemen from uh, Traverse City, Michigan, who recently purchased half of 78 percent of Oak Island. <laughs> it's kind of complicated. Yeah. And uh, but. What that uh, come
2: out to? Uh...
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do the math on that when you get back. Well, to me, is that you?
2: metric or is that English uh, imperial? <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, So the land has been changed hands many, many, many times, and uh, at different times, uh, one person has owned Oak Island, and then there's a big, oh, great, big, smelly controversy back in the 1970s and 80s. There was um, a gentleman from Sydney, Nova Scotia, which is at the far eastern end of Nova Scotia. He thought he owned all of Oak Island, and uh, there's a land surveyor from near Halifax, and He went and looked at the deeds, and he said, Oh, my goodness, look at this. There's a whole bunch of lots that haven't been transferred properly. So he went back to the previous owners, uh, paid them for the land, uh, challenged it in court in the 1980s, and he actually won. Oh, my God. Hmm. Yeah, so he ended up owning 22% of Oak Island, and uh, the other group ended up owning 78% of Oak Island. So that's how it got split that way. But here's a really interesting point. Even though this man owns... um, or owned a bunch of lots on Oak Island, a significant portion of it, 22%, he wasn't allowed to use the causeway. He had to go over by boat because the <laughs> treasure hunters that these guys were associated with had built the um, causeway back in uh, 1965, I think it was. They built the causeway. So uh, that's kind of an interesting thing. And to this day, the people who own that 22% is no longer owned by just one man. But all the people who own that, they still have to go to Oak Island by, um, by boat, and the other owners, they can drive across the causeway. <laughs> wow. <laughs> but there's been intrigue like that for many, many years, and you know the old saying, they say the still waters run deep. Well, that's very, very true with regard to Oak Island. There's been uh-huh. a lot of, um, oh, I'll, put, I'll say jealousy. Uh, with different groups, treasure hunters, landowners, uh, even people who want to uh, conduct and run tours in Oak Island over the years. There's been all sorts of little intriguing things done. And, um, oh, it's just been fascinating. The history is just incredible. And a lot of the history of Oak Island has not been put to paper, too. There's a lot of details that aren't known, uh, at least not widely. Huh, I'm
0: sure. You know, there's there's two or three questions that I'm just, like, kind of burning to to ask. Sure, Jeremy, go ahead. Um, one is, what's what's happening now, if anything, treasure hunting-wise?
1: Oh, boy. Well, let's deal with that one right now, because that's, that's a sad story. Nova Scotia is the only province in Canada that has legislation, it's called the Treasure Trove Act, that deals with treasure hunting off uh, uh, the shores of Nova Scotia and the land here in Nova Scotia. And it's basically because we do have a lot of treasure ships that have sunk... Um, um, in Nova Scotia, mostly up towards Cape Breton, but there are treasure ships down and down towards Oak Island Way. In mm-hmm. fact, there's even a, a ship that nobody has really explored yet, uh, very close to Oak Island. But anyway, I digress. Um, in order to dig or scuba dive for treasure in Nova Scotia, you have to have a Treasure trove license. That's the law. And uh, of course, there'll be penalties for anybody who contravenes yeah, that, but that law. That
2: seems reasonable.
1: Yeah. here's the part that people find unreasonable I can't go digging for treasure in my backyard unless the government gives me a license and right now the government is not issuing any new treasure trove licenses so some of our richer wrecks that are out here off the coast can't be explored oak island can't be explored anymore until the government decides what they're going to do and um, I have met with some pretty serious treasure hunters here in Nova Scotia. I was at a meeting um, or a presentation that uh, one gentleman had given not that long ago, probably but a month ago, and he was told, and I quote, uh, by the uh, Department of Natural Resources, they're the ones that uh, handle the treasure trove license and the act, he was told, quote, there's going to be an announcement very soon and you're not going to like it, end of quote. And what that basically means to most of us is that they're going to repeal the Treasure Trove Act and uh, probably redo it. And I'd be willing to bet you that the government in the United States works as slow as the government does here in Canada and provincial government or state government in your case. And I'd be willing to bet you it'll be weeks, if not years, or months, if not years, before they rewrite the Treasure Trove Act in such a way that it'll satisfy all parties. So that's the sad story there. Huh. Wow, yeah. Well, I know we're
2: coming up on the break uh, very shortly, and we are talking to Danny Henneke. Did I say that right? Yes, you did. Oh, my God. Lovely <laughs> accent on the
1: end, too. I must say, I love Henneke. That sounds great.
2: Oh, thank you so much. It's like <laughs> Don <laughs> Tremont. <laughs> yeah.
0: Uh, no no <laughs> word, Jeremy. Jeremy. And <laughs> <laughs> well, i are going to go to break. I was, I was going to mention that three of my grandparents were from Nova Scotia. So I, oh, uh, I bet uh,
1: you, because Don Tremont, Tremont is a very, very popular name uh, to the west from here uh, in the French yeah. communities.
0: Pubnico. Uh, yeah, the, exactly. And yeah, founded yeah. the, the town of Pubnico back in 1650. And before
2: we go to break, what would be a really good website for people to go to if they wanted to find out more about like the? Without are...
1: question, probably the world's best website with regard to Oak Island is owned by a good friend of mine, Joe Atherton. And I would encourage your people to go to www. Treasure, All one word. Co. Uk. Joe has. Um, Big website, all sorts of documents, photographs, and there's a forum that you can ask questions of people and uh, discuss issues back and forth. And uh, it's, uh, (coughs) excuse me, it's it's one of the best, or it is the best. I I won't hesitate to say that.
2: All right. Uh, We had a little problem with... uh... Pararex feed, so actually I'm working on it as I talk to you guys so it makes it even more difficult <laughs> <laughs> but uh, anyway anyways, we are going to break and you are listening to Ghost Chronicles live on Toginet, Pararex when we get it up uh, Ghost Channel and beyond and I am Ron Kolick and Jerry Daltraman is our guest and we'll be right back after the following messages
1: Welcome to TokiNet, radio with a cutting edge. They're creepy and they're kooky, mysterious and spooky. They all talk the kooky, the Parrax family. The shows are paranormal, not stuffy but informal. The topics are abnormal, the Parrax family.
0: They're strange. Unarranged Unrestrained So grab your
1: favourite brew It's time to rendezvous As we give awards to The Para-X family Hi everybody, this is Pete Six of Beatles and Beyond Why don't we all come together And hear some of the tracks off the latest Beatles release
0: On this radio station
1: Yes, why don't you look up the schedules on this radio station and join me and Beatles listeners everywhere to hear these latest releases from the Beatles on Beatles and Beyond with Pete Dix.
0: We are back. You are listening to Ghost Chronicles
2: live on. So Jeanette, Pararex, Ghost Channel and Beyond. Yay, Pararex. Uh, so that is very, very cool. I am Ron Kohler, New England's own Dan Helsink. My co-host is the Edward Rose Snow of the Lighthouses, the contemporary Lighthouses, Mr. <laughs> Jeremy Tremont, And our very, very, very special guest is Danny Henneker of... Uh, Danny Henneker.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Danny Henniker of Danny Henniger. <laughs> uh, I'm with the uh, Chester Municipal Heritage Society, which is um, another volunteer group. And we're, um, of course, promoting the heritage of Chester Municipality, which includes Oak Island, of course. And uh, we're going to be very much involved with building an Oak Island display this winter. So I'm hoping in 2011, uh, some of your guests, or many of your guests, hundreds of your guests, or thousands of your guests can come up to Nova Scotia and see a very well-done display. And maybe, possibly, conceivably... There may be tours available at that time, too. So well, That would be awesome, yeah. you It's funny
2: there. you say that because uh, I don't know if you heard the beginning of the show, but Jeremy is actually the president of the American Lighthouse Foundation and also yes. uh, the operating manager for Portsmouth Lighthouse. And Portsmouth, uh, the Friends of Portsmouth Lighthouse, just recently acquired Whaleback Lighthouse. And he just did, what did you do, uh, Jeremy?
0: Uh, I think you're talking about the exhibit we just opened. Exactly. I thought that might be what you're referring to. Um, yeah, just opened last week. Uh, for anybody who might be coming to Portsmouth, New Hampshire, this summer, or might live in this area, uh, at a place called the Discover Portsmouth Center. It's, it was the old library in downtown Portsmouth. It's a it's a great old building, and it's now a museum of Portsmouth history. Uh, and we just opened an exhibit called "Rescuing Whaleback Lighthouse: A Wave Swept Sentinel." And uh, we had a, a, a great uh, opening reception last week, and uh, I'm going to be speaking there this Saturday morning at 11 about the keepers of Whaleback Lighthouse. And I'll be there until mid September. And I was so close so.
1: enough to, to listen to that, to be
0: there. What was that, Danny? I'm
1: sorry. We, I you, say, I wish I was close enough to be there. Uh, Lighthouses are something that's very special in Nova Scotia as well. Any mm-hmm. maritime area, uh, lighthouses have been uh, a great savior. My hat comes off to you, uh, Mr. Dontermont, for doing what you're doing, because uh, lighthouses here in Nova Scotia are in great peril right now. I know. And
0: wasn't yeah. there just uh, some kind of ruling from the government that they're really going to be divesting and getting rid of a lot more lighthouses?
1: Uh? Oh, yeah. Oh, God, yeah. They're going to they're dumping them on the market. I think you could probably buy a lighthouse for a couple of bucks. And, yeah. Uh, but then you have to clean up all the lead, the mercury. Yeah, you
0: know, so it's it just really terrible. is a shame. It's more or less the same situation in the U.S. and Canada. The, the yeah. government, for uh, what you know, whether it's their fault or not, you know, just like in the U.S., the Coast Guard just doesn't have the budget anymore to take care of the lighthouse Right, it's, it's easier
1: to throw stones. Uh, you know, I, I used to work for government, and um, I understand how things are perceived by the public sometimes. And sometimes the government does screw up bad, and they do do things that are just awful. And I really don't know where this one lies, but I wish that they would uh, reconsider, especially some of the more important lighthouses we have. Right. <clears> so
0: that's I all I have to
2: say about that.
0: Yeah, well, we could go on about that. I'm sure we, oh, can both. Sure we could both <laughs> go on about that. You know, you, know,
2: you know, what's interesting is we have a, uh, a, a ghost tour that we're actually doing on a, a cruise, actually a ghost cruise that we're doing, uh, what, July 31st, Jeremy?
0: Right. Yep. Yeah, if you uh, go to the
2: Any Ghost Project website, which is any NE, like New England, Ghost Project, uh, dot com you, you can actually buy tickets from it. But anyways, it, it's kind of cool because we're going to be going to a bunch of islands and stuff with, and tell the ghost stories about them and, and different things mm-hmm. and uh, other mar- maritime things. It would be yep. great to be able to do a cruise uh, and go up include Oak Island in it as well. I think that would be so cool. I, I agree. If you
1: ever uh, end up up this way, you give me a call and I'll take you into my boat. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's, not, it's not big enough to have dinner on, but by thunder, yeah. we can take you around to Oak Island and show it to you.
0: Uh-huh. I would love to do that. I've been yeah. in that area before, but I have not seen Oak Island close up. So
1: it's a, it's a very we'll interesting island. Very okay, in, so we'll, in this bay little... here, there's over 300 islands. So there's there's a oh, lot of wow. stories here too. Yeah. yeah.
2: So so first things, we actually, uh, I would like to go. I mean, we we talked a little bit about some of the the abbreviated version of the history behind it. Let's, let's talk about, first of all, treasure-wise, what has really ever been found there, and two, let's start talking about some of the theories of what is buried there.
1: Okay. There has never been treasure found on Oak Island. However, and here's the important thing. There have been two coins found on Oak Island in the cove called Smith's Cove, uh, under the sand, they weren't laying on top of the ground sort of thing, and uh, both of them were found about 1965-ish, around that time. One was found by um, a group of students who came up from um, the States and stayed on a, a, a nearby island and did a lot of scouring of Oak Island with metal detectors and whatever you have, and they found a coin from the 15th century. Then, uh, the story goes that a gentleman from uh, England found another coin on Oak Island, from probably about the 14th century, 14th or 15th century. So, if you want to call that treasure, then by thunder that was treasure, but uh, most of us um, that follow the story say, well, a couple of random coins don't a treasure make. Mm-hmm. So, that's the only treasure. Now, if Dan Blank is shipped, who is one of the current treasure hunters on um, Oak Island. He's been around for a long, long time, about 40 years. If he heard me say that that they've never found treasure in Oak Island, he'd probably be quite up- upset with me, because Dan feels that he's actually taken photographs of treasure chests deep underneath of Oak Island.
0: <laughs> mm.
1: Now, theories. We could talk for hours about the theories. Well, before it?
2: we go into the theories, I, I sure. don't think, what, wasn't there... Something found a either a note, parchment, or, or something that?
1: W- yeah, back in 1897, they uh, were drilling a very deep hole, and they got down around about 100 and, oh, 170 feet, 174 feet, something like that, and they drilled through what they referred to as cement. They had it analyzed, and it came back as being uh, worked by the hand of man. And when they brought up the, the drill bit, there was borings on the end of the bit. And, of course, they used to knock the, the borings off the bit and you know go through them with their fingers to see if they could see anything interesting. And they did find something interesting. They found a little tiny ball that had a little hairy thing sticking off of it and it looked like a, the size of a grain of rice. And um, a gentleman by the name of Dr. Porter uh, in front of 30 or so witnesses in the courthouse in Amherst, Nova Scotia, he unrolled this little tiny thing under magnification, obviously, and it turned out um, to be what looked like a little tiny piece of paper upon which was writing in um, India ink and it was done with a quill pen. And this little piece of paper actually turned out to be sheepskin parchment. And you can see portions of letters. It looked like uh, perhaps VI or WI or YI, something like that. And it, it was analyzed at the, the time or very close thereby in Harvard University. So they're the ones that said, look, it's sheepskin parchment you have there with India ink writing done with a quill pen. Now, a lot of people will take that little bit of evidence and a little bit more and will weave a story around Sir Francis Bacon. From England, having a hand in this, because Sir Francis Bacon, some people suspect that he was actually the one who penned William Shakespeare's plays mm-hmm. and folios, and they believe some people believe theorists believe that he secreted these things away and scientific secrets and philosophical secrets and buried them underneath the oak Island in uh, casks of mercury. And what some people believe is that these guys drilled into a box or a chamber or something, they had uh perhaps scrolls into it and came back with this tiny piece of parchment and there's all the proof you need that Francis Bacon that buried your treasure underneath the Volga Island. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> now mind you, I, I, I make light of it and there is more theories out there about it. In fact, there's one gentleman in um in Norway who I've met a couple of times, his name is Petter Amundsen is a very intelligent man, very uh, articulate fellow, and uh, he has a theory that sort of re- revolves around that. And uh, you might think that he's uh, a little loopy, and uh, when you mention that to him, he he has a laugh about it. But he is a um, very interesting fellow, and he is he has um, developed quite a theory with regard to old Island. It's worth looking at. It's mm-hmm. not... Um, Some people say, oh, in fact, Darcy O'Connor is in contact fairly often with a guy from Ireland who says, well, you know, he says, it's a a colony of leprechauns underneath of Oak Island. (laughs) So, that (laughs) one I'll laugh at. But I wouldn't laugh at Petter's uh, theory because he's put a lot of time and money into it. In fact, there's been a a multi-series or um, multi-show TV program that was on in Norway that has brought a lot of people interest in Oak Island. So... Petter has an interesting theory. Mm-hmm.
0: Now, besides that little piece of parchment, wasn't there also a possibly a hoax, a, a, like a note that people say was a code to the, to the treasure, saying it was 40 feet farther down? Oh, or something yeah, like
1: yeah, the ones. inscribed stone. Not oh, stone goodness. Maker. Back in the 1800s, the early 1800s, there was a company out there digging uh, called the Onslow Company, and they came from an area in the central part of Nova Scotia called Truro. And Onslow is an extremely small community, but nonetheless they uh, put together a bunch of adventurers and they came. Uh, they sailed 300 miles from Onslow around uh, the tip of Nova Scotia in the Bay of Fundy and around Yarmouth and sailed up the shore to Woke Island and went treasure hunting. They get down about 90 feet in this hole and they found charcoal, they found putty, they found uh, coconut fiber, they found... Um, one story says there were stones with crude figures cut into whether that's true or not. Who knows? But around about the 90-foot level, they found a the stone was about sort of olive green in color. Um, it was about, say, three feet long, maybe a foot and a half or two feet wide and, uh, you know, five or six inches thick. When they rolled the stone over, the story goes that there was markings on the stone that looked like some sort of a code. And... Um, Later on, a gentleman interpreted that code as saying something to the effect um, 10 feet below, 2 million pounds lies buried, something like that. Most of us uh, serious researchers do believe that that may have been um, wishful thinking, Mm -hmm. perhaps on the part of the interpreter of the code. And the interesting thing is you'll read some books um, that uh, will have a copy of this inscription in them. But uh, we really do not believe that what you see in the books represents what was actually on this stone.
2: Right. Uh,
1: we think that um, it was embellishment, perhaps. Uh, who knows? But the stone disappeared. A lot of people saw it, but we don't know of any photographs, mm-hmm. any rubbings, or any etchings, or any accurate... Um, uh, redrawing of what those symbols were. So quite frankly we just don't know what the symbols were. For me personally, I'm satisfied that the inscribed stone existed,
2: mm-hmm. but whether
1: or not it had, um, as Darcy would say, whether it was a, there was an amoeba crawling across it when the rocks were still still forming in the ground, or whether it was actually somebody actually uh, inscribed something onto it, we simply won't know until that stone is found again. And be honest with you, it's been lost since about the 1930s and um, hasn't been found since, but according to some of our historians that you can, um, you know, hang your hat on, uh, they say that the stone did exist, and I, for one, am, am satisfied that it did. What was you know, that was interesting. Interesting.
2: we we have our own little uh, mysteries here in, in New England, not too far in Westford. We have what we call the Westford Night. Oh, is
1: the Westford Night, yeah. I'm quite. Oh, you were Oh gosh, yes, yeah. <coughs> right, yeah. and along
2: yeah. with that is the Boatstone and and uh, the Newport Tower as well. Yep, Newport yeah. Tower.
0: Uh, the Narragansett
2: sorry. Stones.
0: Uh, yeah. Go ahead, Jeremy. You well, I was just going to ask if uh, Danny knows about Dungeon Rock in in Massachusetts, by any chance.
1: Dungeon Rock. Mm, I don't think so. I okay, don't think familiar. Uh, oh, that's, a little,
0: that's a little Well, it's a little different, but it's, it's, in a way it's similar to Oak Island because it's a place where a lot of people believe a pirate treasure is buried. Oh, yes. Um, I grew up in, in Lynn, Mass, and uh, the story is in uh, Lynn Woods, which is a very large wooded area. And there's a, a boulder, a giant boulder, that from the side looks looks very much like a skull. <laughs> it's kind of amazing oh. just in itself. But what happened was the the legend is that, in the sixteen hundreds, a pirate was buried there in an earthquake with his treasure, oh yeah, and in the late eighteen hundreds, there was a father and son, Hiram Marble and his son, who spent like thirty years blasting and digging almost two hundred feet down in below the rock Goodness. yeah, but you, were... wait,
2: wait a minute, you just kind of like edged right over that first of all, you got to tell them <laughs> that these guys were spiritualists, and they weren't going to say dead. that. Messages, from, messages <laughs> from the dead. Well, you're supposed to introduce
0: yeah. that prior to it. No, I was. You. Know, you it was in the middle of sentences. sentence I was about to say. They were guided by a spiritualist who, told, who was supposedly getting messages from the from the dead pirate. Oh boy. Yeah, and uh, but apparently, either the pirate was playing games with them, or the spiritualist wasn't very good. It was actually a young girl, a teenage girl, who was a huh. uh, spiritualist, hmm. the medium. That's an um, interesting but it's a, story. Yeah, it is, and I always kind of, in my own mind, I always thought of. You know, Dungeon Rock and Oak Island almost in the same same breath. I yeah, a there's a buffalo. there's
1: another stone up the eastern shore of Nova Scotia, a little place uh, very close to a place called Liscomb Mill, and it's at the mouth of a, a small river, and it's commonly referred to as Kid Rock. And uh, in one of the one of the books that uh, I have here in my library, there's a, a drawing of what Kid Rock used to look like, and I just visited this place uh, on uh, Friday. We drove down the eastern shore to a big folk festival and I always stop off and visit these places and <laughs> to see what it looks like from year to year and there was carvings on the rock that made some people believe that uh, Captain Kidd had visited there in 1670. Unfortunately a man came forward in the 1970s and uh, claimed that uh, I'm the guy who uh, did the carvings on the stone so that pretty much quieted that down. But, but wait a
2: minute, you know what it, okay I mean, that's nice. Oh, yeah, I did it. I confess. Wonderful. But, I mean, how do we know that that guy's that He actually did it. Or is he just looking
1: you know, to make his Well, name here's here's stuff? the interesting thing. <laughs> right off of uh, this little river, there's is an island out there that uh, a guy by the name of Charlie Milky was on this island called Hemlo Island. He was on there for years and years and years. He got enough money to get drilling rigs out there, and he was absolutely convinced that there's a treasure uh, uh, uh secreted the way on Hemlo Island. And uh, he was there for years and years and years. And if you know where to look, you can still see the man's little cabin that he lived in. And uh, if you can get out the island, which I haven't been lucky enough to get out there yet, uh, uh, you can still see evidence of where he had been digging for so many years. And, and he was a very eclectic individual. So, you know, there, there's all sorts of stuff like that. The eastern seaboard of North America, from uh, from Newfoundland right down to and past Florida has all sorts of interesting carvings that can be some people say are uh, rune stones from the north um, some people say and even the new port tower is built by the vikings for gosh sakes so other people say no no it's templar knights so you know all up and down our shores everywhere there's really really super good um, stories about uh, these things and you can really pass stories off as being fanciful uh, fanciful stories but you know often at the base of these stories there's some truth that there's something that uh, spurns people on that's
0: right yeah
2: all right so we we did get off the subject which was okay.
0: <laughs> yeah we sure did <laughs> uh, let's
2: talk a little bit about you know some of the theories I mean I've heard everything from you know the knights Templars oh yeah that's and,
1: a popular one very popular Yeah, so
2: I mean why don't we start with that and then we can move <laughs> on depending on the amount of time we have
1: Yeah, The Knights Templar, of course, a lot of people would weave the uh, Masonic order into that. And uh, if you go back in history, there's all sorts of iconography and uh, mythology and everything else that can be woven into Oak Island quite nicely. And A lot of people have done it, and uh, to be honest with you, some of it looks pretty good and other, other bits of it are just absolutely silly. But in 1398, there was supposedly a visit here, in Nova Scotia by a chap, and by the way, Nova Scotia wasn't officially um, uh, visited by Europeans until, say, the early 1600s, or perhaps a little earlier, but certainly not 1398. But anyway, a guy by the name of Prince Henry Sinclair supposedly landed here in 1398, and the story goes on to uh, suggest that he had Templar knights with him who scouted out the locations to bury treasure or because the Templar Knights were extremely wealthy order of uh, warrior knights who um, fought, the, uh, fought in the Holy Lands to try and get control and protect pilgrims and all this sort of thing. So the story goes on to say that Henry Sinclair um, did the scouting and uh, there's talk of a, a castle having been built uh, inland in Nova Scotia in a community called New Ross. Yep. And, oh, it's one heck of a tale. And then, of course, you get all this mysticism and secrets and whatever have you with the Masonic Order woven into this whole story because there is a connection between the Templar Knights and the Masonic Order. And, uh, oh, it's just it's such a fascinating story. We could talk about that for hours. But I'll tell you this much. The, the Masons are very interested in Oak Island. I've had many Masons go to the island for tours and... Um, when we had the Oak Island Tourism Society, we had uh, masons as um, as members. And one could uh, walk down that road and suggest that they were there to keep an eye on things, and other people could say, well, gee whiz, come on, they're just interested people, and they just happen to be a mason. So, uh-huh. you know, this whole thing about Masonic Order, just it can get really wild, and it's quite interesting, too. Uh-huh. And uh, the French are very, very much interested in uh, this story. In fact, I was involved with a documentary, with a French um, film crew that were here uh, four or five years ago, and uh, I don't know if they've ever actually produced the film or not, but boy, are they keen on the Templar Knights with Oak Island. And that's just another theory. There's, there's all kinds of them. Some people say the Mi'kmaq people did it. Our native are our native peoples here. and Some people say the Acadia, the Acadian people who were here did it. Other people say, no, so no, why? no, you're wrong. The question all wrong. is,
2: why did they do it?
1: Oh, hiding treasure, and there's, there's a lot of people that, there's one gentleman from New Zealand, he's, uh, he's a sort of a friend of mine, he's a, he's a high-ranking skeptic, and uh, that's fair, because Oak Island has a lot of things to be skeptical about, and uh, he believes that um, Oak Island is nothing more than a place to uh, uh, make salt uh-huh. uh, for the drifts, the salt cod trade yeah huh. uh, it's it's so full of holes you can see right through it, but that's okay he's um, He's an interesting guy and he's got some uh credentials behind him he's actually he's a lawyer and uh he has written some interesting theories about oak island and what he thinks all this stuff was and of course he thinks it's a bunch of nonsense
0: yeah. <laughs> well, I'd like to ask ask you danny um Certainly. what is your personal feeling? Do you feel there's something special buried on oak island well here's here's the thing
1: and uh, people ask me this often because I'm so keen onto it, so they figure I'm a wide-eyed treasure hunter. I'm not interested in hunting for treasure in Oak Island. I have no interest in it whatsoever. But here's what I hang my hat on. I am willing to accept that somebody was on Oak Island prior to popular European settlement. I think their history is lost, and I think that they were deep underground, and the natural progression would be to believe that they buried something of great value what it is i quite frankly don't know and i'm not willing to to really offer up an opinion on that but that's what i'm that's what i'm going to hang my hat on i'm convinced that somebody did something deep underground in oak
2: island uh-huh. okay uh you are listening to ghost chronicles live on pararex Dojinet net ghost channel and beyond uh, if anybody wants to call in, by the way, the number is 877-864-4869, 877-864-4869, or join us live in either the Toji Net or the Pararex chat room. Uh, you know, this whole thing about, you know, the different sections being separate and all the water coming in from the ocean, mm. is that all real, or is that, or is that just stories too?
1: Well, some people think it is stories. Uh, Quite frankly, I'm willing to believe that there was a tunnel that went from the Money Pit shaft, the very first shaft that was dug, uh, to Smith's Cove, 520 feet away. I think the preponderance of evidence suggests that it was there. Um, At one point in time, uh, treasure hunters actually found the mouth of the tunnel. They described it as being four feet high, two and a half feet wide angled at about 22 degrees and was stuffed with the beach stones to keep it from collapsing. Now, how smart is that? And um, there is a suggestion that there's another flood tunnel that comes in from the southern shore on Oak Island, and uh, there has been some evidence uncovered to uh, say that it it is. But um, really, the one that comes in from Smith's Cove, 520 feet away, that seems to be the best documented one. And by the way, the coconut fiber... That they found an old guy back in the 1800s. If you still know where to look, you can still find it. Uh, not in the quantities that it was, of course, because it's decomposing and it's mm-hmm. washing away, but yeah, yeah. it can still be found. So.
0: I find that really interesting because there's no uh, coconut trees within, what, maybe 1,500 miles, something like that?
1: Oh, probably. at the very least.
0: Okay. yeah, yeah but certainly not in my backyard.
2: Coconuts were, were a means of trade. I mean, they used to take the coconuts and uh, import those for... Uh, right. What was, what was the substance in it? Uh, I can't oh.
1: think of it. Well, well for the oil. What, the, what a lot of people have suggested as a reason, and quite frankly I accept this, is that the coconut fiber or the husks of the coconut may have been used as what they refer to as ship's dunnage. And for some of your listeners out there that may not know what that is, what dunnage is, is um, well, anything that's cheap and easy to find. That you can stuff between boxes on a ship so, that when a ship uh, heels over at sea and is rocking from side to side, you can't let the cargo smash against the sides of the ship. So, they stuff it with something as cheap and easy. And the suggestion has been the coconut fire, the husks of a coconut reuse, to stuff in between the boxes. Now, you know, in recent years, I've seen uh, container loads of fish loaded in steel containers, and they use old car tires for dunnage. So that the containers, the little pails of fish don't rock back and forth and spill. So it's a fairly common thing that's been going on for many, many centuries. And I, I like the uh, suggestion of that. I think that's um, I think that's a good uh, good suggestion that was used as ship's dunnage, and then they used the coconut fiber as a filter to keep the sand from filling up the drains that led into this tunnel that flooded the money pit. It seems to make sense.
2: Okay, Makes sense now wow! Can you believe almost oh, That's a two minute warning. Todd. <laughs> oh Uh, Can't we have
1: uh, another three hours?
2: I wish. (laughs) I would love to get into some other things, but unfortunately, Danny, we've run out of time. Yeah. Uh, But let me ask you this. Sure. Do you know anything paranormal going on over there?
1: Oh, my goodness, yes. Oak Island, ever since the very, very early days, has been um, seized with stories of the paranormal. It's uh, it's incredible. In fact, I know grown men today who will not spend a night on Oak Island. Mm. All right, they won't we'll,
2: it. If, if you will, I'd love to have you come back, and we can even talk about that in the future. Oh,
1: I, I could, I could I talk for hours
2: that. on that alone. All right, we will definitely uh, have you back on that. Danny, we want to thank you so much. We appreciate you taking up your time uh, for coming on, and uh, it was interesting. And like I said, there's much, much more to explore, and uh, I th- I'd love to have you back. Well,
1: Ron, it's been my absolute pleasure, and as you can tell, I love talking about Oak Island and informing people about Oak Island. I'd love to give people a tour, but that's just not going to happen for at least a while. And, uh, <laughs> excuse me, let me also say to Jeremy, best of luck to you, my friend.
0: Thank you, Danny. I, I really enjoyed this. It's really interesting, and I hope you do come back on again.
2: Uh, I hope so, too. By the, way, by, by the way, Danny, I am also involved with the uh, Friends of Portsmouth White House, too, so I'm not oh, just a Oh, good for
0: you.
1: Great. Not just a pretty <laughs> face. Good stuff. You guys work hard on that. <laughs>
2: All right. Thanks, Danny. My pleasure. Yes, good, good night. night now. Good night. Wow, that was pretty cool, huh?
0: Yeah. Wow. Well, you, you could easily talk all night about that.
2: Yeah. We. I got to get him <laughs> yeah. back on because the, uh, there was a bunch of other stuff I definitely wanted to talk about. And, yeah. And, you know, especially the paranormal stuff. I know we didn't get into that much too much, but there was so much involved and. Okay Island, and we're just about out of time. So, anyways, uh, we do want to mention that we have uh, a ghost uh, walking ghost tour. Yeah, the
0: port- this Saturday night, uh, July tenth, tenth, right? Yeah. Yep. Um, Saturday night, we have walking tours at Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouse and Fort Constitution, which is right next to the lighthouse in Newcastle, New Hampshire. People go uh, to PortsmouthHarborLighthouse.org. They can read about that. There's just a few spaces left. We've been selling tickets, and there aren't too many spaces left, but there is still room.
2: And at the end of the month, we have the Ghost Cruise, uh, you and myself, a uh, three-hour tour. Uh, I've heard that before. <laughs> and that that is on July 31st, and you can go to the Any Ghost Project website and get tickets from there, uh, Comcast.net. So, Jeremy, uh, thank you so much. You've been a great co-host, and I appreciate your uh, insight.
0: Thank you, Ron. That was a lot of fun.
2: All right, so until next time, good night and God bless.